0: The Ambitious Mum Podcast Different women, different lives, different ambitions I'm Kate Moore Youssef and every week I'll be having
1: honest conversations about ambition If you want to be aware of your surroundings be aware of what's going on and enjoy your life you need to wake up and be present and it takes practice Motherhood And if someone says to me, but I don't have time Roberta You know what I say? That's all you have. And everything in between.
0: We'll explore how their ambitions and careers have evolved while being a parent. And I'll be digging deep, acknowledging the taboos, the sacrifices, and the sheer grit
1: and perseverance working mums don't talk about. I've had different breakdowns. It hasn't gone, but my tool bag has got heavier and heavier, and it has been my go-to place.
0: Hi, welcome back to the Ambitious Mum podcast. Thank you for joining me again for another episode. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, the host. And this week's guest is a really great one. I say this every week, I know I do, because I'm genuinely fascinated and curious by... Guests that I have on, and they're the people that I want to be speaking to in my personal life. And I'm thinking, well, if I want to speak to them, then I guess there's going to be people out there that will also want to hear from them. And so this week's guest is Roberta from the Mindful Mum of London. Now, mindfulness is it's quite a well-known topic now, but I had always thought about mindfulness as being able to hear the sounds, listen to the noises around, taste the tastes, feel the senses. But in this conversation, we'll really go a little bit deeper and we talk about self-compassion and I guess what the whole notion of mindfulness is about and how we can bring that into our day-to-day life. So it's a really practical conversation. Roberta gives us lots of different tips and ideas of how we can bring mindfulness into our lives right now. We also talk about phobias and we talk about specifically her phobia and she was really honest and very sort of vulnerable about where her phobia stemmed from. We talk about mental health and the past year and what we've all been through, the amazing things that she's contributed over that year, free courses and seminars and workshops and we also talk about her eight week mindfulness course. We mention breath work. We talk, really do talk about coming back to our breath as a way of mindfulness. So I have to say, I learned loads from this conversation with Roberta. I already sort of knew quite a bit about um, self-compassion and bringing mindfulness in, in the way that I do for my life. But it was just nice to hear it from someone that has all the knowledge, all the wisdom, and I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. So here's my conversation with Roberta, the mindful mum of London. I'm really excited to have Roberta on the podcast because I've been following your feed online and it really speaks to me. It's like a down-to-earth, practical, everyday way of embracing a bit of mindfulness into our lives. From a personal perspective, I find mindfulness is huge subject. And you can hear like meditation gurus talking about it. You can see people having to practice mindfulness for hours on end to sort of have some form of enlightenment. But what I want to try and bring to this conversation is something that I know that I resonate with. And I know a lot of my listeners will resonate with is how can we just be more mindful in our very busy day to day lives where we just want to feel a bit more calm, a bit more balanced and just, I guess, a bit more aware so we can just feel like, I guess, better
1: versions of ourselves? How do you bring that to your clients? Well, it's a really good question. And it's very loaded. And it's very broad. And There's (laughs) lots of different answers. Well, the first thing is people need to understand what it means to be mindful. Because there seems to be quite a big misconception about mindfulness. I mean, I think a lot of people think it's mindfulness meditation, people often think, that it's you have to have this enlightening moment you sit on the floor cross-legged in a very quiet space and you have to have your incense but and you know to calm to make to shut out noise it's the complete opposite mindfulness meditation it's we I want people to wake up so it's all about waking up and being aware. So mindfulness the definition of mindfulness is to 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 do something on purpose with intention in the present moment without judgment. So that's really the definition of it. Now, if breaking it down into layman's terms, I can do a a very quick 60 second experiment with you so that you understand what that is. So for the next sort of 10 seconds, if you just get both your hands and you just rub them together and you think about that, just your hands slower, make them slower and see what you can feel. Are they sweaty? Are they dry? Are they sweaty? Are they warm? Are they cold? What's the temperature of them? You can tell me what the temperature is. Yeah, well,
0: I literally just put some hand cream on about oh, five minutes nice. before okay, our got Okay, so how does it feel? So I can feel it. It's a bit sweaty and a little bit mm. kind of, it's a lot more,
1: moist, you know, moisturized. Right, so then um, put your hands very carefully now just towards your face and if you can feel any warmth. Yeah. So that's, you can remove that now. So that's energy. You can let go and you can yeah. just place your hands down on your lap. And in those few moments that you were just, Rubbing your hands together, you were meditating. That's mm. as simple as that. That's a mindful, mindful moment. I asked you to do something on purpose in that present moment without judgment. Now, if you'd have judged it and said, "Oh no, ugh, my hands feel ugh," this, the, I, you know, there's no right or wrong way to rub your hands. You can, if you'd have done it like that, I wouldn't have said anything. So it's a really interesting thing. And then what I always do is encourage people, especially when I'm, if I do a talk or I'm taking a talk or I'm teaching, I need you to to stay with me, to stay here with me. Mm -hmm. 95% of our time is we are on automatic pilot. We are on fight or flight. We are not here because intrinsically as human beings, we were, we were taught to be on guard in the early, in the early parts of, of mankind. So to bring you and bring you back in here. So your mind is with me. Nowhere else, just for this moment, I ask you to take a breath in through your nose as far as you can, as far as you can, and hold it for one, two, and three, and slowly release through your mouth like you're blowing out a candle. Yeah, so that's just one square. That's one breath. That's almost two seconds. So that's a mindfulness moment as well. So you've just done two mindfulness acts because you did it on purpose with intention, and there's no judgment there. So you might wonder where that comes from. But we have in the brain a very magical muscle called the amygdala. And we need the amygdala to be responsible for so many different things. We want it to be calm. We don't want it to be on high alert. It'll pump out cortisol and adrenaline and it'll make our heart pump. So we need to look after that. In the same way somebody would go to the gym and they want to develop triceps, biceps, you can't just go once. I mean, I always thought you could just go once, come out, and I'd look like size t- 8 to 10. But no, you have to repeat it all the time. Mindfulness is absolutely the same thing. If you want to be aware of your surroundings, be aware of what's going on, and enjoy your life, you need to wake up and be present. And it takes practice. Yeah. So I teach people how to be present. And when people have negative thought patterns, I help people rewire their thinking which is why on my eight-week mindfulness course, which is not a course that I designed or came up with, it was, it originates from Jon Kabat-Zinn in the 70s. It's Mm. an amazing course and in eight weeks we teach people a certain way of life and the brain chemistry changes. It changes and it's been proven on MRI scans and it is quite remarkable. It's a huge subject so that's where I would start.
0: Wow, yeah, I mean there's so much there because through my work I teach a lot about breath work and that moment of pause and just coming back to the breath for that I guess it would be it is mindful Um, and I definitely have this where I am working I'm on my social media and I forget completely to breathe and I can feel myself like holding my breath for about three minutes while I'm like typing away or Busy life. I'm doing three different things at a time and thinking about something else that's going to be happening in a few hours or next week. And then I can feel my heart going and I can feel that I'm like stressed and, you know, frenzied. And this has been a pattern throughout my life. And I have to make those concerted efforts. I have to be intentional to bring myself back to that present. And it's a constant reminder. And I think it probably does get easier the more we practice it. But No one's going to do it for us, are they? We're the ones.
1: But you're breathing anyway. Just remember that. You're breathing anyway. You don't have to do anything that you don't normally do. And breathing is the only thing that, it is that A, is automatic, thankfully, because if it wasn't automatic, we'll all die. And the other side of it is it's the only mechanism we have in our body we can also control. There's nothing else that's automatic that we can control. Nothing. Obviously, I completely relate to you. I've got three grown up sons. I've got, you know, I teach mindfulness. I do lots of life coaching workshops. I also get very busy. You know, I'm not exempt at all. I don't walk around floating around. Of course not. I get very, very overwhelmed. But I know as soon as I get overwhelmed, I have to stop. I don't want and I don't believe in multitasking. It doesn't work. So I stop. You know, it's not going to say on our headstones because, you know, life's very short. And I talk about this a lot. We are all going the same way. And if someone says to me, but I don't have time, Roberta, Mm -hmm. you know what I say? That's all you have. You only have time. It's what you do with your time. People get off on the fact, oh, I'm so busy. Like they're going to get an an accolade. Oh, I was so busy. I'm so busy. I'm in a board meeting. I'm in this meeting. I mean, people think it, it makes them feel important to say how busy, busy, busy they are. You're as busy as you want to be. You can't not take time to breathe. You know, when you think about the pandemic that we are still living through, the very core of it, and it should be a very big message to people it's a respiratory disease. We do not take care of the one thing we have when we're born, and the last thing we do when we die is breath. And we lose our breath as we go, and we take our breath as we enter this world. We have an obligation to ourselves to nurture that breathing. We don't breathe properly. We all, most people, shallow breathe. Our body needs oxygen, our brain needs oxygen. People wonder why they get headaches, they get bad necks, they get bad backs, they don't sit properly, their lungs are squashed. So you have to know when to stop. And stopping can just be for 60 seconds. You can get apps on your phone now that just tell you, stop, put your pen and papers out, just stop, tune in. That's it, don't have to go anywhere, don't have to do anything.
0: That's a wake up call and a half. I mean, I'm sat sat there nodding away and, It's not anything more complicated than just pausing and just giving yourself time every hour. Just give yourself that moment to just stop, breathe, think about where you are, what you're doing. You've not always done this. What led you to being a mindful coach? Where were you and what brought you to this place you are
1: now? Okay, so I'm 52. (laughs) I'm fifty. God, I'm 52. That sounds very strange. And you look great Um, for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's not a problem. I'm very grateful to be here at 52. Not everybody has the privilege to make it. So I'm always very grateful for that. I come from a background where on my mum's side, we have had five suicides, which is an enormous amount. I mean, one would be horrific, two would be really unthinkable, but there have been five. So I lost my great grandma to suicide. I lost both my grandparents to suicide. I lost my auntie and I lost my first cousin. I always knew that I was gonna be susceptible perhaps to faulty genetics. Mm. Around the age of four, I must've had an impression somehow about death, fear of death. I don't know how, why, what. My dad was also on top of that, a severe hypochondriac. So there was also behavior that I could mirror or learn. Just remember if anyone's listening to this and they've got children, And it's really important, children don't necessarily remember what you say to them. They really don't, but they will always remember how you portray yourself, your behavior, mirroring. And that's a very valid thing. So I obviously mirrored a lot and I heard a lot and I developed a phobia of dying, a very severe phobia of dying. I remember my earliest recollection, I was four or five. I just started school and there was a little girl there a girl there with broken legs, and I actually thought she was dying, but it coincides because I've obviously had lots of therapy about it. It was it's been a dreadful phobia to, to have to deal with because it's not like spiders. You can bring a spider out, yeah. put it in my hand, and just make me suffer it until I has no more power. You can't put me to can't kill me. Say, so, there you go, you've just been dead for 20 minutes. How do you feel? So it was very unfortunate. So this child, this girl had broken legs, and I thought she was gonna die. And my mum had to take me home, and we had to do Plaster of Paris and they thought that was the end of it but it, it wasn't I had a severe phobia of health related anxieties and then as time went by and then I lost my grandparents and then my dad was always in and out of specialist appointments whenever he had something wrong with him he always said he was thought he was gonna die he always used to say to me you know we're not here forever make the most of this make the most of that and as the youngest of three I was left at home a lot I was a big age gap between my brother and I and he left home so I was left with my dad a lot on my own and he was so morbid You know, he said, I've got a lovely birthday present for you. I have bought you a burial plot, you know, just really awful things, you know, terrible. Yeah, he bought me a burial plot, like a family plot. I mean, you know, most dads, buy. I know. So it's really abnormal and I didn't know any different. So every time I had something that perhaps may be wrong with me or not wrong with me, I would be terrified. Or if I heard someone died or I saw someone in the street. So that was that. Around the age of 19 or 20, I had a personal situation, a romantic involvement with with a a chap I was due to get married it was not the right person for me and it manifested itself in a nervous breakdown re-anxiety I had glandular fever lots of bruises and I thought that was it my time was up and I remember going to see an uncle who was a doctor and I was I just didn't believe that I was okay I went to see an ENT person because my nose was bleeding and he sent me to a hematologist. I was absolutely rock bottom, petrified, off my out of my mind with fear. Like on a nut. I can't ever, even to this day, I can never ever explain in English how that feels. It's severe pay, fear, like another level. And obviously, I used to think, I wish I wasn't frightened of dying because I wish I wasn't here. So mm-hmm. it was a, it was like a most. I, I was trapped in this terrible bubble of fear. I was sent to an amazing psychiatrist called Dr. Brenda Davis. She was one of life's incredible human beings. I still didn't think anything was wrong with me in my head. I really believed I was dying and that people were lying, trying to let me think it was my mind so that to protect me, that's how bad my phobia was. Cut a long story short, she introduced me to mindfulness. I didn't, I'd never heard of it. I mean, it was what, 1989. Wasn't really over in the West at all. It was still a very much an Eastern philosophy, a way of thinking. And I completely, I got it. I went on fluoxetine, which was Prozac. For about six months, and I studied mindfulness, and I and I practiced it, and I practiced it, and I practiced it, and I did breathing work with her, and I understood about senses. And throughout my life, I've had different breakdowns. It hasn't; they haven't gone. I've had different episodes, but I've, my tool bag has got heavier and heavier and heavier, and it has been my go-to place. I'm probably the best I've ever been now. Probably the best I've ever been, which is an amazing feeling but it's given me empathy. And I suppose 10, 15 years ago, I wanted to teach people. I can't stand seeing people suffer. There's a very big difference between fear, anxiety, and depression. You don't even need a label. Even if you just feel low or you just feel rubbish, it's just awful. And I'm, I'm very empathetic. So that's why I trained to teach under Bangor University in Ireland. That's where the governing body is. And I did self-compassion courses, and I've taught I've taught lots, children's self-compassion, you name it, I do it. And when COVID happened last year, I stopped working privately. I was in a position, I'm, I was privileged to be in a position to stop charging, stop my private work, set up The Mindful Mum, and literally within s- so many weeks, there was nearly 8,000 followers and, and 5,000 on Facebook. So there was 12,000 people and I was completely overwhelmed with that. So I've taken up took somebody on, Lydia, who is literally incredible, also very mindful, fantastic at what she does. And here we are, and this is now my life's work to help people on their journey live a very fulfilled life. And for women in particular, I, I've also suffered with domestic violence, and domestic abuse, mentally, physically, and I've suffered a lot, but I am not a victim of trauma. I'm, I'm a survivor and I'm resilient and I wanna help people. And that's really who we are. Oh,
0: my goodness, Roberta. Thank you so much for sharing that. So much I could resonate with, really, on so many different levels. From my family, there's a big family history. There's been suicide. There's been depression. We've got ADHD in our family. And with ADHD, and I've recently diagnosed, is anxiety is, is a very big comorbidity with it. So having anxiety a lot of people kind of bandy the term around and but when you are severely anxious and if you've got a phobia similar to yours it's so debilitating and it can have on so many levels you know an impact and I'm sure there's people listening here that can really relate if they've got something and I really do relate to what you were saying I had a similar experience with EFT with tapping and that was my tool and that is my tool and if I hadn't found that, I think my anxiety would have definitely, you know, been got carried away and I wouldn't be in the good place that I am now. And I think what you said was spot on of having tools and they're getting heavier and heavier because we can go into that place of victimhood and really kind of spending our life in the past and thinking about all the things that, you know, could send us down Or we can collect tools that can empower us and can make us feel that we are in control, that we've got more control than we think. And, you know, for you, it's mindfulness. For me, it's definitely the tapping and knowing that you can bring that to a wider audience as well. I'm very passionate, especially with this podcast, is bringing people like you out there to people who might not necessarily be following feeds like this on Instagram, but it might not be part of their world. It might not be part of their family maker. These conversations might not be happening within their circles. So for you to come on a podcast and talk about this and someone could be like, wow, this could save me. This could save a family member is very powerful. And I think by sharing and being vulnerable and talking about What you've gone through makes people recognize that there is an interconnectedness. Everyone is dealing with stuff. So, and I know you talked about self compassion, and this is also another passion of mine as well. Plenty of passions I have. I work a lot with this as well. How are mindfulness and self compassion connected, and why is it so important? And and just before you answer that, I did an episode. Back last series, I think about six months ago, with a self compassion expert, Dr. Nicola Harker. And we really kind of honed in on self compassion. But I just feel like that's just the tip of the iceberg. And I could probably talk about self compassion for hours. So, how can people adopt more self compassion in their daily life? And why is it so important?
1: (laughs) Good one. Again, another lovely question for me, um, of which I'm very familiar with. So, again, people need to understand what is self compassion, what it is not people need to understand that self-compassion isn't self-indulgence there are three elements to self-compassion I don't know if you know what they are or whether you've been taught what they are it's about self-kindness rather than self-judgment I know because I took I had a workshop yesterday a self-compassion workshop yesterday which um, was all about self-compassion and all the women in our workshop We all felt the same we were all from different avenues but we all felt the same we felt guilty if we didn't do this we didn't spend enough time with our kids if we maybe didn't make the most nutritious meal or if we were young mums and we didn't breastfeed for long enough or we didn't breastfeed at all or the guilt was there there was no self-compassion but yet when we asked um how would you look after a friend well that's a different story altogether and so you have to reparent yourself in my in my opinion, and you have to become your own self-healer. No one else can do that work for you. A lot of people like to stay in the in the in the mode of oh you know I, I've got too much to do. I can't do it. You know, life's very busy I'm so stressed. I've got this, I got that, I got this, I have got that, and you know, and it's very, you know, wow. Actually, people don't always want to make that change to be self-compassionate. They like being where they are yeah they're used to it it's comfortable yeah they're comfortable they're comfortable in their uncomfortableness so self-kindness is a very very. Do you deserve to be kind? Well, that's a question that only every individual person can answer. Now, the second point of self compassion to me is the most important, and it helps me hugely because I also get the guilts Because I um, <laughs> I come from a very hard working family where you know I was up at six. I worked in a family business for up until I was 25, and you know I had to be in before everybody else. So I had to work triply hard, and I just I mean I would never put the television on in the day even now because my work ethic is not can't put the television on you know, can't do that i'll be into a lot of trouble <laughs> so this is where this point comes in the second part of what self-compassion is we all have a common humanity factor rather than feeling isolated so when you know that there are other people and when we were on the screen yesterday on this live on my live zoom meeting it was really comfortable comforting that we all felt the same that we all we all of us i was the eldest and then all these other people we all felt the same and then when we realized that we all felt the same it was like <sighs> wow so you know when you feel that way that way you have to try and remember you're not you're not the only one you're not that special all of us feel like that many of us i've we did a i did a survey on on our group of seven thousand people it was was unbelievable of people who who participated in that survey, however many there were, a few hundred, felt guilty for taking time out for themselves and having self-compassion. They didn't feel they deserved it. I will just say this, and it's cheesy, very cheesy you do not need to earn the right to rest. You do not need to earn the right to look after yourself. You don't need to do anything just to be lovely to yourself. It's your right. Your birthright is to be happy and content. Life is hard enough as it is. Why would you be hard on yourself? You know, other people are probably hard on you or have been to me. I don't need to do it to myself. What other people think of me is their business. What I think of me is all I care about. And that's taken a lot of a lot of work. And mindfulness is about living here and not over-identifying self-compassion. Don't over-identify. You are not your thoughts. Yeah. You are not your thoughts, oh, so I don't deserve it. That's not true. I do deserve it. I definitely do. I was told by my father many times you haven't achieved very much in your life. You know, what have you done? Terrible thing to say to, me, to a girl, to their daughter but I've achieved an awful lot. And I'm so proud of what I've done. And I am learning myself in the last four or five years that I actually, it's okay. And I think self-compassion has to start with thinking about a little bit about our background. How were you parented? And our parents are only as good as their parents were. And our parents have unresolved issues, traumas, situations, personality hiccups, you don't blame anybody for anything, but my mum and dad did the best they could. And I'm a result of that. But I have to change that pattern and that dynamic. So I'm going to reparent myself and I'm looking after me as if I am a young girl. And we've all got that young person in us. We're oh, always we're we're, not, we're always who we are. So we have to be kind. And if I want to be silly and loud and which I can be very silly and very immature and very loud, no one's going to tell me to be quiet. I don't want to be quiet. Why should I be quiet? I won't be here one day. Then you'll want me to make a noise. So, mm-hmm. again, self compassion. You have to at least three things a day, three, whatever they are. Nice shampoo, wash your hair, nice soap. Doesn't have to be anything extreme. Hand cream, lovely, treat yourself and look at your hands and your nails, anything, whatever it is, go outside. I work with senses. Look at, sit outside. Just be really kind to yourself. And when you find it difficult, don't fight it. Let it come. Let it go. Because stress is only when we're trying to hold on to something to make it different. Let it come and go.
0: Yeah. It's giving ourselves permission, isn't it? And when you talk about the guilt and you are in a place where you know you've not sat down all day, <laughs> whether you've been working and you've been on the go and then you've done the supermarket then you've got to go and get the kids from school, it is, it's like this badge of honour of being as busy as we can be because, badge and then honor. to tell someone that we've been busy and then we go, okay, then it's, I've, I've managed to tell because someone Because you need validation.
1: Busy. It's because you need validation and it's when you don't need validation ever is that you know that you're in a really great place. Yeah. And
0: it's making that choice to give ourselves that permission, isn't it? To, to make that choice to say, I am going to go and have that bath and I'm going to let the kids just watch TV
1: and eat dinner in front of the TV tonight. I
0: also, think
1: def- sorry, self compassion is also about knowing how to say no to things that don't serve you well. That means you need to have thick boundaries in place. Now that's very difficult when family members demand time of you or arrangements that you perhaps you don't want to go to, and so you have to justify it by saying, "Well, I can't because I'm being, I'm very busy. I've got this and I've got that." You know, you are allowed to say no to whatever you want without giving any explanation. And if somebody doesn't like that, they really are not worthy to sit at your table. They're not worthy. They can go. I 100%
0: agree with you. But when you're battling old beliefs, School. conditioning, parenting, communities, I understand. I think how you've been you. brought up, you hear the word should, should, should. I should mm. be doing this. I should yeah, really be you know, I have going to it. see that person. Yeah. And, it, and you're kind of like battling in your head of, am I being really selfish? Yeah. Or actually I am a human being with my own desires and needs and energetic boundaries. And it's making that
1: conscious choice, isn't it? Of, of so when every you say single no, day. Yes, conscious. And I can, I, and I know you get what I'm about to say. I completely understand where you're coming from with the family scenarios of the shoulds and the coulds and blah, blah, blah. However, the moment you start to say, start to slowly change your positioning and you start to slowly make a shift of, of course, the other people on the other side, the old school behavior, you know, elders and, you know, you must do it. It's not even in question. You have to go. No question. It's your, it's your, it's your duty. Mm. You slowly turn it and they will throw their toys out the pram. It's going to be very uncomfortable. Now, I come from a family where I exactly those things, you know, you have to go and you have especially certain times of the year, certain times of the week. You have to go and I, you, you can't not go. And you have to go. And it's better off to go, you might think, than to, you might as well just say yes, because the aggravation of saying no is just not worth it. But if you say no, and then you start to stick with it slowly, slowly, slowly over time, it will feel comfortable to you. It's taken me a very long time. It's just so liberating to say, you know, thanks so much, but I'm going to give it a miss. Mm, That's it. Yeah, I don't need to say why. And it felt very uncomfortable for me at first. I wanted to justify it or make something up, lie even, <laughs> lie. Oh, I can't because I've got a client or I've got somebody here and I've got. I, mean, I you know I've broken my leg or <laughs> I just yeah. don't want to, you know. So that's it. I don't do what I don't want to do. I'm not here long. No one has the right to dictate to anybody. But in my family, it was different because unfortunately, money was a very high. Money was used as power, um, and I was very dependent financially on my parents. So. There was no question about it i always had to obey and that's it isn't
0: it it's like that feeling of bowing down to authority obeying other people other people who are more important than you um putting people on a pedestal i mean all these different things that i'm thinking <laughs> that yeah. it is it can be so conducive like your life can just be revolved around this forever it Can
1: be, but you're aware of it number one and you have a choice
0: yeah and yeah, like, we're choice. not here, we're not here to be martyrs. We are here, you no, know, We really you, not. you said before, you know, it's our God-given right to be happy. And right. Yeah, that I'm a complete believer in this, that, you know, we should be leaning towards more joy and happiness and positivity. And we've got a choice to either go down that very negative route and constantly be talking about negative things, or we can try and veer towards more positivity and be around people that lift us up and don't drag us down with them and and all these things but there is an element of guilt there and to say do what you want to do whenever you want to do it that comes with an element I think it's practice isn't it it's doing very small things every day instead of just saying no to a huge thing all of a sudden which is completely terrifying
1: and you know exactly
0: yeah you think what's gonna happen you shouldn't
1: (laughs) You shouldn't, and you know, I, didn't, I wouldn't suggest that for a moment. You just do everything in very, very, very small stages, so small. And I, I'm, you know, this is very common. This causes so much anxiety in people when they feel they have to act in a certain manner, not natural to their who they really intrinsically are. Um, and you know, yeah, I, I was just gonna. I'm gonna spend my lifetime in giving people, women, men, whoever they are, young boys, young girls, the confidence the strength to say you've come into this world you have your own autonomy you are not here to serve anybody else if you want to go obviously there are times Look, there's a there's a time and a place sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do out of respect on the occasions but to live your life as a slave to other people it's just not going to happen and it shouldn't happen and we have to break free from it but in little tiny steps it's hard it's hard, very, but it's but these
0: conversations, you know, like this, are important because it's giving people little nuggets of, oh, okay, I can see where that's happening in my life, and, and it doesn't make them, you bad, doesn't make yeah. you a
1: bad person. You know, there's my favourite expression, and it actually is from the Old Testament. I mean, I've been saying this for years, and I'm, I'm going to just say it quickly. So, if I'm not for myself, who will be? Mm. If I'm only For myself what am i if not now then when so if you think about the order that it's written in if i am not for myself who will be so that's number one you're on an airplane the same old thing that people talk about you know the oxygen mask you have to put that on you first before you can do anything for anybody else so if i'm not for myself who will be but if i'm only for myself what am i so then what would that make you so i'm not suggesting you become a selfish human being I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm suggesting you because I'm a I'm a person of great deeds. I do lots of wonderful good deeds, but there's you have to know the line, the fine line between being bullied mm. into a situation and and wanting to give on your of your own accord. So if I'm only for myself, what am I? Well, if you're only just for yourself, you'd be a very selfish human being. And you know we rise by giving. We rise by lifting others. So number one, if I'm not for myself, who will be? nobody if i'm only for myself what am i not a great person and if you don't start this now when then now now it's always now tomorrow when you ask me the same thing it's always now we're always in the now it's always now o'clock there's no more rehearsing rehashing rehearsing just everything's now just start now yeah listen we are nobodies you know we are really in the grand scheme of life in 150 years i mean just live Live, 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 have the chocolate bar, have a cake, she says. Uh, No, absolutely, because we can
0: spend a whole time in this anxious state of the what ifs of the future. Yeah. And where am I going to be in like a week and how am I going to plan this? And da. -da -da. And and then we're busy with friends. Well, we were busy with friends, and all we're doing is thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow when I've got to get up for a meeting or whatever. And without being too harsh, you're right, it is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. And we see terrible things happening all the time, especially over this year, that if we're not going to get this wake up call that you mentioned right at the beginning, you know, waking up, being aware of that we are in this huge universe and we're just little
1: tiny specks that are just doing our thing just to kind of do the best you can in your in your world. You know, and mindfulness. I mean, I do lots, you know, walking when you get up, the way you move, the way you blink, you know, the smallest things can create such pleasure. I mean, I've always, I remember as a little girl, there was a friend of mine who couldn't go to the toilet. And I always, I never forgot it. And I was quite scared because I obviously had a health phobia. And I always remembered ever since, every time I went to the toilet, I was like, thank God, I was so grateful you know yeah. i was so grateful and when it rains outside i never think oh god look at the weather i think oh my god how amazing <laughs> i just love the rain i love all seasons you know i'm grateful that i can see i mean i really am i'm grateful i can hear i can speak i can touch i can move i'm 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 grateful because i can assure you the things that we take for granted people are praying for even lifting up your arm and it's all about having gratitude really gratitude no stop moaning start living and just make the most of what you've got. What's on your yeah. plate, be content. Because we're always going yeah. for more, for more, the chase, the chase, stop. This is amazing. If I if I blindfolded you for the whole entire day and stuffed your ears so you couldn't hear, I promise you the following day when you could see and you could hear, you'd think, wow. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, it's even just a day of, I remember um, last week I had my vaccine, my first vaccine. And I spent the whole day in bed, felt terrible, like just awful. And I remember thinking the whole year of homeschooling my kids and being just so busy, thinking all I want to do is just spend a whole day in bed watching Netflix. I Hmm. got my day in bed watching Netflix. I felt horrendous. All I wanted to do was be up and about in the kitchen, walking my dog, being busy with the kids. However,
1: you're allowed to have your day in bed with Netflix feeling well. Yes, exactly. You're allowed to do that. you know, And that is going to be on your to do list.
0: Yeah. But what's funny is that I think I want that. But when I'm actually doing it, it's like "Mm, this isn't actually making me feel relaxed. What's making me feel relaxed is going on uh, a long dog walk and being out in nature and saying to you off camera before that that's the way I am mindful. I know that my brain, it goes 100 miles an hour and I have to actively Choose moments through the day to make it stop, so I can be in in a more present place. And funny enough, I was doing a workshop yesterday about emotional dysregulation, and I talked about mindfulness and I talked about the power of stopping and being present to help us calm our nervous system and to help us kind of be. Being more present sort of reduces the anxiety. And so for me, I'll take my dog for a walk. And some days I'll be like, yeah, put the music on. I want to like listen to some high energy music. Some days I'll listen to a really interesting podcast and that'll be relaxing for me. Other days I'll leave my phone and I'll go into the the woods that are near me and I'll just go for a lovely walk and I will listen to the crunching of the leaves underneath my feet. I'll listen to the birds. And I know that I, it's, I've got the double whammy of the the exercise, but also what you said before about the brain and our amygdala. And we are doing a workout for our brain as well, of calming that nervous system. So I feel that everyone has got an opportunity to be mindful. So if you don't live in n- nature, you could sit on a balcony or you could sit in your back courtyard with a cup of tea, couldn't you? And hold that cup of tea, and feel the warmth, watch the steam. There are these micro moments, these pockets that anyone, wherever you live, whatever you're doing, however busy you are, can adopt. And it's, I guess it's making a choice, isn't it, if we want to go there. We want to kind of give our brains that downtime. What are those micro moments? Are there anything, any other ones that you can think of that the listeners can take away?
1: As I said at the very beginning, it would be about Staying present, and obviously the you know the breath, your breathing. So if you're somewhere, it could be anywhere. You know you've always got your breath. It's your anchor. That's number one. There are lots of different exercises people can do when you're sitting down. You can wiggle your toes. People don't you know that keeps you in the moment. It depends where people are and what they want. What what you know, look around. So for example, while I've been talking to you, I obviously notice your bracelets, I notice your rings, I notice the red on the top of your headphone, you know, I'm very, I'm very aware and notice everything. So it's a notice game, switch on. I talk about the mindful mum triangle. So here are your thoughts. And they're going, you've always got your chatter, you've got about 75,000 thoughts a day. And basically, 10% of those are about in the now. So we need to improve on that. Drastically, so we've got the triangle, and we we might want to let's. I mean, no one's going to have nothing around them, and even if you've got nothing around you, nothing is something. So sitting, standing, wherever you are, it's really your breath, which is what you've got, which is the key to is the key to everything that you just have to focus on your breath. And then you've got your bodily parts. How do you feel, is your, is your bottom on the chair? Are you standing where are your feet? Is your, how does your body feel? Are you warm, are you hot? Just go, I go through senses, but I do this in about week three of the mindfulness, eight week mindfulness course. I spend two and a half hours just talking about this. So it's hard for me to give that question credit yeah. because I don't have the time. And I can't demonstrate. Normally, I would talk about um, alternate nostril breathing, which is brilliant. Um, I would talk about the mindful mum triangle. So here are your thoughts, and then you know, if there are thoughts that you're not wanting to have there, and you want to come away from those thoughts, you have to click that switch on. So what that happens is you click your switch on by going into a breathing mechanism. So let's say I want to do four, 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 like my like a belly deep belly breathing. I do, and then. As I'm doing that, my thoughts might come back again, but I want to explain something to you. Imagine the brain is in two parts. On the left-hand side, when your notice switch comes on, the left side disconnects, and that is absolutely true, and the right side fires up. Mm -hmm. So the fight or flight stops, and the now moment happens. If you imagine driving a manual car, it's exactly the same. You cannot drive in two gears at the same time. So it's exactly the same. So with this triangle, you start ruminating, thinking, oh, I wonder what should I make for dinner tonight? I don't know, oh, I, wonder I wonder what's on. Oh, I didn't clean the football boots. And um, oh, shit, I didn't call my mum. Or, you know, or whatever it may be, on and on and on, like r- snowballs of thoughts. You catch it, that's what you need to do. Catch it, don't judge it. Think, oh, switch, switch on, breathe keep going and I talk to myself I guide myself in my mind breathe in yeah how does the air feel all the way I wonder how long and sometimes count and it just really it's just an amazing feeling it relaxes Mm. my jaw there's also something called the the vagus nerve I don't know if you know what that is yeah so there's a special thing you can do with your ear it's unbelievable. It's one of the, I actually think that's one of the, I mean, I've got my earphones on, so it's gonna be a bit difficult to show you, but it's the most incredible thing. So, with the vagus nerve, let me just move this. I don't know if you can see this bone here. Yeah. So, yeah. just under that bone, there's a ridge. Okay. Okay. That, so, it's like almost like when you slope down from the bone, there's a slope. If you yeah. put your finger in that, in that little indentation, it's unbelievable. And you just gently do circular motions. I'm doing, And by the way, we're, we're doing this now with our headphones and we're, we're just moving them. So if you're just listening. Happy, yeah, it's really. Can you feel the ridge? Yeah. The circles, just in circles. And yeah. if you do that long enough when you're sitting quietly, I cannot tell you the effects it has on As part. One of the nerve endings are in your ear and there's lots of different ear exercises because our ears are actually quite tight. Wow. So that is an amazing thing that I teach a lot of. I think it, the vagus nerve, people don't really know much about it. No, I mean, phenomenal. I've, I've definitely heard about it. and I've heard about the
0: connection with our brains and everything, but I didn't realise about ears oh, or anything. Wonderful. I mean, this is that
1: fascinating. Is, the ear thing is just <laughs> tremendous, but there's more to it. I mean, obviously there's a, on the, and then on the very back of your neck, you've got something called the mastoid process, which is a bone all up here. And again, you don't have to do it hard. I don't know if you can see just here.
0: Right, so you're pointing. I'm just going to tell the listeners that they you're pointing so you're behind going your ear
1: and up, and you just move the skin up, very tight, and you don't need to do it hard. I mean, I feel like I want to do it hard. Yeah, and then, and then you can do it the other way. So I'm going up, and then you go down. Okay, and, and that's where all our nerves are. You've got no. If you saw in biology where where the feels- nerves are, it's it's how does that? It's quite that painful. I knew you were going to say it. Yeah. I knew you were going to say it. I knew it was going to, it's painful, bruised. feels a bit sore, yeah. It feels, feels sore. Yeah. yeah. All your, so they're all your little nerve endings around there all need to be released. Wow. So if I just give this a massage for yeah, a don't, don't Not. do not It shouldn't be too hard. Don't okay, do it too just hard. gentle. There's more to it than that. When we've come off this, I'll send you a message afterwards. <laughs> well, I feel know. like
0: I feel like this is you know just the beginning, and, and and I think you've definitely piqued people's interest. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by all this because with the tapping, and um, because we tap on the meridian points, and these are sort of similar, they're acupressure points, and they release certain feelings and really help release really suppressed emotions, and so it's the fact that we've got this in our bodies at our disposal and people like free. yourself who exactly. And, you know, we can adopt these tools and we can, like you say, um, keep packing our toolbox to make it heavier and heavier so we have got things to go to when life gets tough. Well, when the we heavier need to the bag,
1: feel... the lighter the load in your mind. Mm.
0: Definitely. And, and it is, it's about... F- Knowing that we can be resilient when we want to be, and and having these tools, and so I just want to thank you so much because I've absolutely loved this conversation, and I think everyone else will as well. So, can you tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can work with you? What have you got going on at the moment?
1: Well, on our website, we've always got our upcoming events, which is uh, as you said earlier, www.mindfulmum.org. But as part of my devotion um, to hu- humanity, um, If anyone is suffering and the reason why i've created a platform is because first of all when people need help therapy is not always somewhere or something that people want to do i've stepped out of that system of i don't believe necessary for me it's my own belief the 50 minutes of a, of a therapy session is necessarily good for people because you open up your heart, you you unpack all your raw rawness and then 50 minutes. Well, that's all we've got time for today. And we we'll see you next week. So I don't believe in that system anymore. <clears throat> so anyone who does my eight week mindfulness journey with me and I do it in very small groups because it's very intimate. I do charge for that. But that's the only thing I charge for now. Everything else. Most of the workshops I do are free of charge. I do lots of one-to-ones free of charge, they're 30 minutes. I don't charge anything, because I want to be as accessible as possible to as many people that need help. And people don't have 40, 60, 80, 120 pounds, or whatever it might be to feel better. So I'm doing the very best I can. I'm working at the moment with someone over, I'm trying to make, find a mindful mum in different areas of England so that mm-hmm. we can scatter, we can be, obviously it won't be me, but I'm gonna try and train different mums To help me because i can't obviously serve the nation (laughs) it's impossible so yeah go on to i think the eight-week mindfulness course is probably the most important tool anybody should have in their life it's forever and you have me forever so every week we do two and a half hours once a week i have to ask you quite a lot of questions beforehand it's not suitable for everyone if you're going through a depressive episode We'll talk it through. And I would say perhaps it wouldn't be the right time because it can it can evoke feelings that perhaps you wouldn't be ready to deal with. But the eight-week mindfulness course, if you are receptive, which I believe all the people that would come on, my who I've done it, I've been doing this for a long time, but normally in person with the group, but this is now Zooming, <laughs> but it's working well. And everyone's got my mobile. Out of sessions, I help. I give everyone individual homework because you're all different. But you all have set homework to do to teach you to become self-compassionate, to teach you to do things. Slow down. No, you're not going to get a medal. No one's really that interested. <laughs> you need validating. You need to validate yourself. What anyone thinks of you is just you shouldn't care and you'll get there. And I do lots and lots of confidence boosting. And I'm also a huge um, I'm a body activist. I've got a very big passion about body image and loving who you are and what you are so that's all part of it and the eight week mindfulness course really is probably it's my thing it's my signature dish (laughs) and everyone needs a signature dish (laughs) that's really it and you can find that all you can book it all on through the website send me a dm on instagram or email me at roberta at mindfulmum.org well I think you'll get a lot of interest and I also think what you're doing is an incredible
0: service for um humanity and you know offering you know free work as well so um I yeah I just want to thank you so much and I have a feeling that we'll be chatting again because um (laughs) thank you for having thank you for having me oh it's a pleasure thanks Roberta so that's this week's episode done I really hope you've enjoyed it and it's helped you in some small way. I listen to loads of podcasts and have learned so much along my journey and now know I'm a real auditory learner and if you're the same and you're often inspired by listening to thought-provoking conversations please don't underestimate the power in sharing it to ensure other people can also be inspired. Not only does this help your friends but it also lets the host know how beneficial the episode has been to them. It's such a quick thing to recommend a podcast on your social media. it means the world to us and helps more like-minded people join in the conversation so simply screenshot your phone and share the image of this podcast by text or on your social media to someone you think who needs to hear it and the power of a recommendation really does work and creates a ripple effect for all those involved Also, I've got a Facebook group called the Ambitious Mums Wellbeing and Lifestyle Chat. and My aim is to create a safe space to discuss any of the topics that have been mentioned in the episodes moving forwards. I'd really love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening and see you back here for the next episode.